Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for finding us on your favorite podcast app. You can also find us every single weekday on Dash Radio. Download the Dash Radio app for free. Search for Nothing But Net. We're there every single day at 7 p.m. Also, check out my new show on OnSideRadio.com. That's every day from 10 to noon. That covers all South Florida sports. And, of course, FiveReasonsSports.com. Spell it out, F-I-V-E reasonsports.com all the latest from brady hawk on the heat new story from christian pupo about some of the issues that major league baseball is having so we cover again more than just the heat there also check out the great sponsors of the five reason sports network this is a new one and one that we're actually integrating and using with a lot of the stuff that we do it's called best ever you can find it at bstevr.com that's bstevr.com this is a simulation. So essentially, if you're having an argument with somebody and you're like, okay, and right now it's just NFL, but it's going to be NBA soon too. So make sure you sign up. Let's say you're having an NFL argument. You're saying, well, what happens if Brady and Mahomes were switched in the Super Bowl? You can do that. And not only will they run the simulation, they'll give you a full game story, all the stats and everything along those lines. So it's a place to settle arguments. We're going to do a lot of that here at five reasons. Eventually, they're going to have NBA probably in the next month or two. So we can have all those debates. We can play the 2012-2013 Heat against the latter you know, decade Warriors. Can play all of those different combinations against each other. Sub anybody in or out. It's free and it's easy to use. So check it out. Just tinker with it. BSTEVR.com. That's BSTEVR.com. You'll be surprised how far they go with some of these simulations. And now, today's episode. One, two, three, four, five. On the floor. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick with Alex Toledo and Greg Sylvander, part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. Are right, Ethan Skolnick back on Five on the Floor. Here's today's floor plan, night off from Greg Sylvander, but we've got Alex Toledo. You can follow him at Tropical Blanket. We've got our friend Tim Bontemps, I think, making his fourth appearance here on five on the floor you can find him of course at espn and espn.com tim was one of those um last year we talked to a lot during the the lead up to the finals and then also he was in the bubble tim how long were you actually well you were in the outer bubble what did they call it what it was the baby bubble what, what did they call um, it yeah, tier tier one and there was tier one and tier two i was there for i think um 78 days or so oh it was right around there two and a half around two and a half months it's almost as long as i spent in cleveland so 78 days I, <laughs> I, I, although this was better because it was the world of astoria hotel not cleveland um not cleveland that's right <laughs> but not cleveland is all we need to say but like could you explain to people like what you were uh, what that was like because we talked to you before you went in i think mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you were there for, did they just forget about you <laughs> no, I spent, I got to spend a lot of time with, uh, Andy Ellsberg down there, which is great. Uh, no. So I, I was, uh, I was in the, the second tier, the, the outer tier of the bubble, uh, in Orlando, uh, which meant that I was able to go to the games, uh, saw you there briefly. Um, but was, uh, able to go to the games and sit in the upper deck, uh, at the, uh, various arenas, but was not able to, um, interview anyone in person uh or be around anybody who was in the first tier in person so uh guys like tim or people like tim reynolds who another south florida guy was in the first tier uh malik andrews agent Warjanowski, 
my colleagues at ESPN, among other people, uh, were in the first tier, and I was in the second tier. So, uh, you know, it, it was definitely a, an interesting experience. I got to, you know, see a bunch of basketball games and, uh, you know, was able to do so fairly safely. And um, I was in the tier with a lot of the executives and scouts that came through. So I got to see a lot of them. So that was uh, nice, especially after coming back to uh, Boston where I am now. And it's, you know, like everybody else, you're now not really able to have any human interaction with anybody. It was nice to be able to have conversations with people uh, down there. So um, it was certainly an interesting experience. And, you know, based off the way the season has gone so far, maybe the league would have been better off if they tried to do that again. But that was something that just about everyone in the league didn't want to try to do for a second time. I think for understandable reasons and uh everybody's trying to slog their way through this season now and hopefully we can all get a vaccine in the next few months and start to get back to life as before at least yeah you mentioned uh i mean that that hotel where everybody was staying um i came in after one of the games and there's bernie lee jimmy butler's agent there's bam Adebayo's mother there's alonzo morning there's andy and pat walking through yeah it was and by the end it was pretty damn empty because it was it was just heat laker people pretty much yeah it was really just them and then there was genie bus and rich paul Mm -hmm. and uh you know linda rambis and kurt rambis i mean yeah it was like you know there was the there was the Laker contingent and the Heat contingent, and that was that was it. You know, it was it was it was pretty strange. It was kind of like, uh, you know, it was it, it was just kind of like you know, people just kept going home as as things went along, and it went from, you know, a, a pretty crowded. And even at that point, by the finals, all the TNT people had even left, so it was really just our ESPN people and then the team from the two teams. So yeah, it was it was a really cool experience. It was it was a neat thing to be part of. It was a really long time to be away, um, but you know, certainly it was very cool that that my boss has trusted me to go down there and be part of that and certainly something i will uh you know always remember being a part of hopefully hopefully it's the one time we have to go through all this in our lives and we don't have to do anything like this again because i certainly don't want to uh think about having to try to do this another time well anytime you can get rich paul and uh pat riley in the same same hotel with very few <laughs> other people there, uh, <laughs> that's what you want to do all right we're going to transition that's right and I'm going to let Alex carry a lot of this episode. So that's why I'm starting here. Um, what we're going to do today is we, we know that the Heat have struggled some this season, 11 and 14, dealt with the COVID. So they're, they're going out on the West Coast. We're going to have podcasts after all the games. They've got a murderous seven-game trip coming up. It's yep. going to start without Goran Dragic. Um, and Mo Harkless is questionable, but Dragic is the one everybody cares about. He's not starting the beginning of it. But what we're going to, Alex and I are going to do with you today is we're going to look at the other teams in the East because the one thing about the East is nobody's really run away. Um, and I feel like that's one of the reasons why maybe Heat fans are panicked, but the Heat themselves are not panicked. So what we're going to do with you is upside and downside for some of these teams in the Eastern conference. And then I'm going to like, kind of let Alex take it away uh, from me on some of these. Um, But I want to start here. with Well, exactly. I should talk less, but here's one of the things. Philadelphia. (laughs) I saw a stat today. I, I sent it to our guys. I, 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 this was on Twitter. The the Sixers are 14 and O this season when they have their planned starting lineup. So when Seth Curry and Danny green uh, are in there, it, along with Embiid, Harris, and Simmons. Mm-hmm. What is the upside for this team? What is the downside for this team? Uh, well, look, I mean, I, I think like all these teams at the top of the East, I mean, I think the upside is they can get to the finals and maybe win it, right? I mean, Joel Embiid to me, 
know, I had my straw poll come out today of uh, the MVP race. And while LeBron was a very slight leader over Joel Embiid, I think Joel Embiid has been the best player in the league this season. Um, you know, I, I know there's that 14 and 0 stat with the starting lineup. I think that's accurate. Uh, what I know is accurate is that the Sixers are 16 and three when Embiid plays. And I believe they're one in four uh, or one in five when he doesn't play. And uh, two of those losses were when they had, you know, basically their entire team out before they played the heat when they had their entire team out uh, a few weeks ago uh, because of COVID. So, I mean, really, when you're talking about the Sixers having anywhere near a representative roster, they're basically 16 and one with when Embiid just plays and he has been dominant. So, you know, if you go into the playoffs with a bunch of shooting around Embiid and he plays at that level in the playoffs, they have a chance to, uh, you know, get out of the East and make it to the finals. And I think it, you know, the case against them, the downside case is that they never replaced Jimmy Butler. Right. And when they traded for Jimmy Butler, he was the guy that was going to come in and be the closer down the stretch of games for them that they needed. And they haven't replaced that guy. And as you know, from, you know, watching when the, the heat had Shaq, it's very hard uh, to have your go-to guy late in games, be a big man, right? Generally you need some kind of perimeter guy to be a go-to guy. Same problem the Bucks have with Giannis. Um, and, you know, is Tobias Harris good enough to be that guy? So I would say the jury is out to be charitable. Um, is Ben Simmons good enough to be that guy? His shooting is not good enough to be that guy probably. Right. So um, I, I think if you're looking at the biggest Achilles heel potentially for this team, that's it. It's that who is going to be the guy that with 20 seconds ago, six or seven, the ball down one, who are you afraid of? That's going to have the ball in their hands. And, you know, I think it remains to be seen if they, have, that they have an answer to that problem. So Tim, uh, I'm really interested in, especially, uh, that latter part that you were talking about just now, that's kind of what I've been harping on uh, from the Sixers for the past couple of seasons, ever since they let Jimmy walk and instead opted mm -hmm. to sign Harrison Horford. They obviously moved on from Horford and they were able to rebuild the team into one that makes a lot more sense. They've been a, you know, a great regular season team so far, but what yep. I've been harping on from the start is, and you know, I've kind of uh, tongue in cheek, I've said the Sixers are still going to be a first round exit, which I may or may not believe. But to me, the reason why, and even if I may or may not have some bias uh, is the point that you're talking about there is, you know, how much are they going to be able to create in the, in the half court when things get really tough versus a, you know, a really good team in the East that is just locked in on them, locked in on them for a seven game series. So when, you know, a team starts to really crowd the paint, like they usually do versus Simmons and Embiid in the playoffs, how confident are you in their half court creation and their shooting? Right. Cause I think it's like, we all understand that obviously the shooting makes it, it's just a lot better than they, the situation is a lot better than it was last season, but are you confident enough that they'll be able to uh, create enough offense in the half court and that their defense will hold up outside of, you know, the, the two elite defenders they have in, in Embiid and Simmons? Yeah. I mean, I think you're being pretty biased with, uh, and uh, as you're, you're kind of tongue in cheek saying, I mean, uh, they, they've been awfully good. And look, I think to your point, I, I do believe in their shooting and that Seth Curry could be arguably the best shooter in the league or certainly you know, he's right there with his brother and maybe somebody else, right? I mean, this is a guy who's now consistently been, Robinson. you know, up there with Duncan Robinson too, certainly, right? Certainly in the mix. So he hasn't been quite as good this year as he was last year. Um, but look, I mean, that's a proven 44, 45% three-point shooter now, right? Like you you replace Josh Richardson with him and you replace Al Horford with Danny Green. Um, you know, that's a team with Tobias Harris also uh, providing good shooting on the perimeter. That's a team that makes a lot more sense, right? Like you said, that... I thought that was the key part about this discussion about Philly. Their team makes sense now, 
And like, I think in the, in the playoffs, they're going to be able to score in the half court because there really isn't a team in the East. Like you can argue Bam is a good matchup for Joel, but if you have Joel Embiid in the post with good shooting around him, it's kind of impossible to guard him. So I think generally they're going to be fine executing in the half court. The, the bigger thing to me is like, as you guys know, the last couple minutes of games, when there's more pressure, that's when things are different. And that is where I'm a little curious about how they're going to handle things. I think over the course of a game, they're going to be all right. But at some point in the playoffs, when, you know, when push comes to shove, you've got to have a guy that you can rely on to create his own shot in the half court. And that is the thing, whether do they go try to find that guy is Tobias, you know, who has played much better under doc this year and played better, you know, his best basketball of his career was in LA under doc. And now this year so far in the short sample size we have under doc, is he going to be able to be that guy in those situations? Is Joel going to be able to be that guy and kind of defy the conventional wisdom or do they have to go try to find a guy to do that? Like that, that I think is the question, but I, I do believe in the theory of their team. I think they make a lot of sense. And like I said, I think Joel has just been awfully good. And, you know, if he's going to play at this level and be this locked in, uh, you know, I think it gives them a puncher's chance. Like last night's a good example. They beat Sacramento. Joel wasn't really that good in the game. And he had 25, 17, six, two steals and two blocks. Right. And got to the line 14 times. Like he, he's really kind of realizing all of his physical capabilities all at once. And it's led to him having a really dominant season for them. All right, let's get to the next one. The team that was dominant in the regular season last year, the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think they lost mm-hmm. their sixth game until they'd won something like 39 games. They lost that quickly this right. year, e- even though they've added Drew Holiday. They did lose some depth. We always talk about depth here with the Heat. They've had to replace some of it. A uh, little bigger role for DiVincenzo. Uh, obviously, no Bledsoe, no George Hill. Uh, a lot of the veteran guys that they had last season. Are they, in your view, I mean, they didn't look great in the bubble. Like, even before they played the Heat, they didn't look great. And then the Heat were right. a bad matchup for them. We had talked about that. Uh, yep. Giannis hasn't seemed to have made any significant improvements. I mean, he's not worse, but he, he, he seems to me to be the same player that he was last year, except for the occasional air ball. Um, is their upside greater ultimately than it was last season? Or, I mean, or are they just sort of coasting right now? Well, I mean, look, you, the, I had this conversation with somebody earlier. Uh, you want to know what uh, Milwaukee's net rating is this season? Do you have any idea? Number one. Well, they're outscoring teams by 10 points per 100 possessions, which is one of the best numbers of all time. And they have the best offense in the league by a decent margin. And they have the best offense in the league, uh, even since the Nets traded for James Harden, right? So uh, they're rolling. Now, they've lost some games. They, they haven't looked quite as dominant, but they're still really, really good. And I think their ceiling is higher because, you know, while you mentioned their depth is worse, and I, I did not like – all the moves they made in the off season, except for one, the one move they made was going from Eric Bledsoe to drew holiday. And as you guys saw in that series against the heat, what was uh, Milwaukee's biggest problem? They had some issues guarding the heat. Yes. But I would argue their biggest problem was down the stretch of games. They could basically only throw the ball to Chris Middleton on the wing and make him try to create against the entire heat defense. Right. Cause Eric Bledsoe was scared to shoot the ball and was incapable of playing in those moments. And again, like with Embiid for as good as Giannis is, it's hard for a big guy like that to without a, a reliable outside shot to be the hub of your offense late in games. 
Now you have Drew Holiday, one of the best two-way players in the league, a terrific clutch player throughout his career, has great, you know, hasn't played a ton of playoff games, but his playoff numbers per game are awesome. Um, I think that really raises their ceiling a lot. And I think if their five guys are healthy, I think they're really good. And they're right now, I think my very slight favorite to get out of the East, though I do have some concerns about them still. Um, but I, I do like their ceiling more because I think ultimately in the playoffs, you're talking about high-end premier talent generally is what gets the job done. And I think going from Eric Bledsoe to Drew Holiday, I think it's just a really massive upgrade. And I think when it really comes down to it in the postseason, it's going to be a big difference maker for them. Yeah, and I'm I'm also higher on the Bucks, and I think honestly, what you what you're talking about again is a similar point that you know we were kind of talking about with Philly just now is their creation in the half court specifically when when it gets to crunch time in the playoffs versus good good Eastern Conference teams and good Eastern Conference defenses. I think Drew Holiday definitely helps in that aspect, especially when you're talking about going from Bledsoe to Holiday, and right. Uh, They've gone from, you know, they they added like a wrinkle to their offense apparently where, you know, they're keeping somebody in the dunker spot. Shout out, shout out the the dunker spot podcast, our guy Nikaias Duncan and Steve <laughs> Jones Jr. Uh they they've talked about this a few times. Uh and like that's I don't know how much better that's gonna make them in the playoffs, having a, a, a guy sitting there to, in the dunker spot where before it was a bunch of guys spaced out around Giannis. But regardless, I think that part they upgraded on, but I'm not sure if it's enough. Right. Like I, I think them and Brooklyn, I would probably look at as a slight favorites right now when you're going into the playoffs, especially knowing that, you know, these teams are probably going to make a couple more moves before then. But when you mm-hmm. look at the Bucks in the half court, once again, you start to wall them off in the paint. And if their formula is, well, we're going to let, you know, they've got one great shooter in Middleton and then some other slightly above average to, to average ones around him. So I think that's going to be a team that you can maybe scheme against just like the Heat did last year. I'm not sure that they have enough to kind of mitigate the problems that were exposed last year as far as Giannis's limits to his game. I still think he's going to be a dominant player, but I wonder if it was enough, right? Like the Drew Holiday acquisition was enough and the downgrades in the rest of the lineup, even though, you know, they're still such a dominant team. I just think I'm a little bit shook still from what ha- what happened to them. Versus yeah. the like, it's just hard to trust them after that. So I don't know if Drew Holiday is going to be enough. Yeah, that I mean, look, I think being skeptical about them, I think, is fair based off of what's happened, especially last consensus year. Right now. Like, well, well, look, the year before they just lost to a great team, right? Mm-hmm. Like Toronto, that Toronto team is going to be perpetually underrated. That was one of the best defensive teams ever. And sure. they had a, they had an all-time great player and some, you know, Kyle Lowry's a Hall of Famer. Like, they, that team was a really well-built team that won a real dogfight series, and those two teams were awesome, right? So, like, that I thought was – I think they just kind of got unlucky in that series. And, like, whoever won that se- – whoever lost that series was going to be unlucky. Last year, they just played badly. And I, I think, you know, certainly it was a weird year. The bubble was weird. Ethan was right. They never looked right down there in Orlando. Obviously, they had the, the moment when they decided not to play in the first round. Like, their, their whole t- time down there was strange. But, look, I, I think Chris Middleton, I think, is a, a very, very underrated player in the league. I think he's awesome. Um, and, and I think their issues to me were not that they were giving the ball to Chris Middleton. It was that they had no other plan. No variety. Really. Right, like I'm on not offense or defense, of, by the way, because they keep getting outshot by three in both in both of these times they got eliminated, and it's like they keep sticking to their plan, which feels more like a coaching thing. So I'm a little bit curious as to if they if they adjust that part. That is exactly right, and I I am I have 
you know, I think that is the bigger question is the coaching part of it than the player part of it. Um, I, I think having, having Drew Holiday there now, you have two guys you can go to in big moments where I feel comfortable with the ball in their hands, right? Like Philly, you could argue, has none on the perimeter. Uh, I think that Milwaukee mm -hmm. has two. So I think that's a big deal. But again, if you're going to approach this from the same way that the Bucks have in the past couple of years, where it's like, hey, we're going to do our thing and it's going to work because it tends to work, right? That has not proven to work in the playoffs. And the other thing is, while depth is not something that necessarily translates to winning in the playoffs, the worry I have for the Bucs is, to your point, because they built their team the way they did, they basically, in my opinion, have five good players, and one of them is Brooke Lopez, which means if they're going to have their best five guys on the court or, or a good enough five, they can't really go small with Giannis at center late in games, which to me, what I would have been doing this summer would have been finding every possible way I could to have the I play with Brooke Lopez way and I play without Brooke Lopez way. And I just don't like between Bobby Portis and Torrey Craig and Bryn Forbes and uh, DJ Augustine. They got, they got a bunch of guys that can provide some shooting um, other than Craig, who's a defender. The other three guys all provide shooting, but they're not able to play in high leverage playoff minutes and allow Giannis to slide over to the five. So that, that I think is the biggest question mark with them is to your point, are they able to kind of, do they have a curveball they can throw at teams in the playoffs and is their coaching going to be good enough? Because you know, that, that's really the big question to me. We'll, we'll see what Mike Budenholzer proves able to do in the playoffs. Cause I think this year is much of a, is as much of a uh, referendum on him as it is on Giannis and the rest of that team. All right. We're going to get to Boston and Brooklyn next. Before we do a word for manscaped.com. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. Before we do I want to tell you about another of the great sponsors of the five reasons sports network, you know, Knicks are no good in the NBA. You're familiar with that. The Knicks are no good. Well, Knicks are no good when you're shaving certain parts of your body either. So that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. I never thought I would actually say that on a podcast and just released the new and improved lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean, premium, the battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Make sure you trim yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 5RSN at manscaped.com. And now this is where I end my career. Your balls will thank you. And now back to the episode. All right, Ethan Skolnick back on five on the floor. Got Tim Bontemps from ESPN and Alex Toledo as well. I don't know which of these two to start with. You know what? Let's start with the Celtics. Um, I feel like they've gone a little bit under the radar in terms of their struggles uh, because I mean, the heat have been so disappointing and obviously Brooklyn has gotten more hype, but Kemba's not playing at a high level this season. Um, even though you've had the jumps from I mean, certainly a jump from Jalen Brown, but also I think another mini jump from, from Jason Tatum, it seems like Brown's making the leap that Tatum made last year, but ultimately Tim, I mean, is there upside high when it, it seems like the, their depth is, is not really there and, and there is a, a real reliance on those two guys every night. 
I mean, there's definitely an, uh, a real reliance on those two guys, but I think their ceiling is maybe higher overall this year if they can add a little depth because Jalen Brown is an all NBA level player now. And the jump he has made, I think, is one of the most important things that's happened in the league this year. Now, the, the Celtics, to your point, have struggled. Kemba Walker has not looked great. Um, he missed the first basically month of the season, all training camp, because uh, he was going through a strengthening program for his knee. He's been working his way back. His shot is off, though he looks healthy, which is important. Um, and the, the Celtics' depth is not good. I mean, they have, they have basically three good wing players, and they're Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. Now, those are three awesome players, but after that, they basically have nobody else you trust to play at the two, three, four spots, right? So you have, you have a couple point guards that are good. You have those three guys, and then you have a couple centers that are good and nothing in between, which in today's NBA, when everybody's trying to have versatile play on the wing, that's pretty tough if you have to play those guys that many minutes. But that also means they can just find some depth uh, to kind of fill out behind those guys, which is a lot easier to do than to find the star-level talent. And when you have those two young guys on the wing, I mean, that gives them a ch chance, in my opinion, to be a factor here for the next several years. And, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see what they look like in the playoffs. We haven't got a chance to see them at full strength yet. I think they've maybe had – they haven't had their full team for any game, and I think they've had their top eight guys available maybe once. Um, so I, I think it's very hard to know what their overall group looks like. But they're probably the team best built to beat the Nets – in the league, when you look at the amount of uh, perimeter defensive talent they can throw at the Nets, uh, big scores. And I think they've got the ability to play a couple different ways and to play at both ends. So um, I am really curious to see what they look like when they get to full strength. And I'm really curious to see if they use this $28 million trade exception from the Gordon Hayward trade. Um, and so, you know, they have some young guys, they have some picks. Do they try to go out and add? you know, another key, another big piece to try to strengthen this team, because I do think there's a window, like we're talking about, all these teams have flaws. And I think the Nets are good enough that if they could get the right piece, they can jump up there and, uh, you know, maybe get to the finals or even win a title this year with your, they've got. See, Boston is another interesting team to me. And this is another one where I definitely have to state the bias has been there always. I've never been a fan of the Celtics. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I, I really like their players as far as Tatum and Brown. They, they are really good. Like it's actually, I was not, I did not see this coming at all from Jalen Brown coming, you know, this turn coming so quick and he's obviously gotten better every year, but now he's like, okay, I'm just going to be putting up 28 points a game with regularity with or without right. Tatum. And, you know, yep. a lack of shooting around him. A lot of times a lack of playmaking around him when, when Kemba was off the floor. And I think the rest of the team is where I, where, where I have questions like you guys are talking about. Like, I wonder what the piece is that for them to, that they could add. Like, to me, if they could somehow add, like, all the depot and or P.J. Tucker, that would probably help them a lot. But I don't. that doesn't sound like something they would do. And, you know, we all know the jokes about Danny Ainge almost trading for someone. I'm going to avoid those just to be somewhat professional. But, like, it seems like they're a team that should be looking at guys like J.J. Redick, uh, Nemanja Bialica, guys who we know are available and are shooters because that's clearly what they need. And, like, I was a little bit afraid, not that I'm a college basketball guy, when they drafted Aaron Neesmith because he was, you know, he was a great shooter in college at, like, eight three-point attempts a game. And I thought he was going to be kind of immediately doing that, and he hasn't been. I know uh, Peyton Pritchard's been good. Obviously, Marcus Smart is still a really good player. But let's say they add a couple of guys like that. Is that all it takes for them to really – take the leap because I still have, I'm still a little bit skeptical about them and you know, a team that could really match up with Tatum and Brown and just focuses their defense on them and lets the other guys do whatever they want. Is that not a good formula to stop them? Well, 
So a couple things. First of all, I I don't understand this talk about the Celtics trading for JJ Redick. I I, I don't like look JJ JJ's a historically great shooter and a good dude. He's also 36. He's been god awful for the Pelicans and he can't guard anybody. So when you know if you get into a high leverage playoff game, I don't know if JJ Redick can even play. Right. So I I don't like people have said oh the the Celtics should trade a protected first round pick for JJ Redick like. They do I, have a lot of great just, defensive players, though, to put them around him, I think. Yeah, but then you can just but then you can just attack J.J. Redick, right? Like, I mean, you guys have seen this in the playoffs plenty in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't you can't have a guy like that out there in the conference finals or in the finals and get away with it. You and know, like, Kemba. it just it, – it, yeah, right. And you've got – there unless you're trading Kemba Walker away, right? And, like, you can't play them together. So, like, I don't know. Like, if you could get J.J. Redick on a, as a buyout guy, like, sure, I would do that. But I'm not giving up half that trade exception to trade for JJ Redick when he's not really going to help me. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think what they need is somebody else who can create off the dribble for them to, to your point, to take some of the pressure off. Like you have Kemba, you have Jalen, you have Jason. If you can find a fourth guy that can be a reliable creator, you know, a guy like Alec Burks, I mean, he's, he's not great, um, but he's a solid player who can create his own shot. I think they need another guy that can do that because they, they do have Peyton Pritchard. Marcus Smart is a decent spot-up shooter. Um, guys like Daniel Tice is actually a decent spot-up shooter. Grant Williams is a decent spot-up shooter from three. But none of those guys can put the ball on the floor and make any plays, right? And to your point, if you can, if you can swarm those other guys and force these complementary players to have to try to make a play for themselves, they can't do it. But if they can get the ball set up to them, they can knock down shots. Um, the other, the other side of that to play devil's advocate is how many teams have two perimeter defenders good enough to stop Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like, and especially if Kemba Walker is healthy, like you put the three of them out there. There's not many teams that have three guys that are that good defensively to throw at them. Uh, you're, they're generally going to get a good matchup somewhere that they take advantage of. So, Jimmy uh, (laughs) well, that's two guys. Then you have to have a third guy, you know, like well, that's, yeah, you know, they, I mean, they, part of the reason that Boston didn't win that series last year was that Campbell wasn't quite right, you know, and Gordon obviously was coming off the, um, his own ankle injury. Right. And, you know, if, if Kemba Walker is fully ready to go and this version of Jalen Brown shows up, like that's a different series last year, probably. Right. Now, obviously I'm not trying to say that he didn't deserve to win that series. He obviously did, but like, if those three, if this version of Jalen Brown goes with a healthy Kemba Walker and a healthy Jason Tatum, that's a really tough thing to stop. And it, it's what, to me, despite their ups and downs so far, it's what makes them an interesting team. That said, I do think they need to do something here over the next six weeks, because if they go into the playoffs with this team, I'm with you. I think ultimately they're not going to have quite enough juice with this group to ultimately get over the top. Well, I'm, my biggest thing on it, Tim, is I, I just I can't see Kemba getting through a postseason healthy the way he's been the past right. couple of years. And, and he, very so, well, he very well may not. And, and, he very and, well may and, not. And, and they, don't, they don't have – I mean, I'm, Jeff Teague, I mean, they, there's not enough material there uh, at that position to be able to get by if they can't. All right, one more. And then we're well, and, that, one... and that's – and just, just really quick, that's yeah. why, to me, the key for them is to get another guy who can create off the dribble because there might be situations where they're better with – Marcus out there at point guard with those two wing players. If there's another guy out there that can make their own, make a play. And that takes some of the pressure off having to have Kemba be great. Um, But 
you know, again, we'll see what they do here over the next six weeks. All right, let's get to the Nets here. Um, seven and five now going into, uh, well, as we record this podcast with James Harden, but of course Durant has not been there for some of the time. Uh, Kyrie, who, you know, everybody knows my feelings about Kyrie. Kyrie came out last night and essentially said they've had more bad luck than any team in the league. I, I think that the Heat and the Wizards and some others might disagree with that. Uh, but uh, this can be said for sure. No matter who's been on the court for them, they're an awful defensive team. Um, I mean, 120 points in seven straight games and the per 100 possessions numbers are just as bad as that. Worst um, defensive team in the league since the trade. Yes. Okay. And I'm not stunned by that. And I know people are going to come after me on heat Twitter, but this was part of what I was afraid of with them, but let's their upside, Tim. Why is he Twitter going to come after you for saying because, that? Because I was the guy oh, I keep getting the thing. Don't, I didn't want to trade the depth for Harden. And it's not that I didn't want to trade the depth. I didn't want to trade oh, pick okay. swaps, picks plus hero, plus Robinson, plus Achua, plus Akpala, the entire damn team for James Harden in part, because when you have James Harden, you got to build a different kind of defense. Not that the heat have been good defensively yep. this year. Cause they haven't been, but yep. okay, let's just go upside downside. Like we've seen these super teams come together and sometimes they start nine and eight, like the heat. I mean, this one started seven and five, they start nine and eight, like the heat. And then, and they get on a run and then they ultimately make the finals, even though they didn't win. We've also seen super teams like with the Lakers where they add like a Peyton and a Malone and it backfires or the ones in Houston that had, you know, a Lajuan Barkley and, uh, you know, and, and that group, to, I, I can't remember if Drexler or Pippen was the third at that point, but mm -hmm. we, we, we've seen some of these that don't, don't work out and some of them that do upside for this team. Can this team as constituted with its current depth and its current defense get to the finals? No, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, look, the, in the last, in this century, no team, uh, no, no team in the last 20 years has gotten to the NBA finals or has won a championship. I should say uh, with a defensive rating below 11th in the league. The one exception to that was either the 2000 or 2001 Lakers. I think it was, I don't remember which year it was. Um, I think it might've been 2000. Uh, um, no, it would have been 2001. It's the year they played the, it's the year they played the Sixers. Um, that team was 22nd in defensive rating and then obliterated everyone in the playoffs and I think you guys would both agree that team was not 22nd in defensive rating because they were 22nd in defensive talent. That team literally was, Shaq was a lazy not ass trying. regular season. Yeah. Right. Shaq, I think showed up in March that season. So <laughs> right, like right, that, right. you know, that, that team, that team was literally coasting till the playoffs and then said, Hey, we're going to go kill everyone now. And then went and demolished everyone. And, you know, nearly swept their way through the playoffs, right? So, but Tim, that's this, not this you mentioned. I mean, when the Heat lost in 2014, and they did make the finals, when they lost in 2014, as Shane Battier was on his way out the door to retirement, the very first yep. thing he said to the media in the locker room was, I knew we weren't winning a title because we weren't top 10 in defensive rating. Yep. So, I mean, yep. Really it's, that simple. And the only, and, and I think the only team that's been outside the top 10 in the past decade was the Warriors, uh, I think the first or second year Durant was there, and they were 11th. And again, that was a team that had tremendous defensive talent that was literally just coasting. And when they wanted to play defense, they were the best defensive team in the league by leaps and bounds, right? So you have to guard, no matter how much offensive talent you have in the playoffs. And this team can't guard anybody. I mean, they stink. You know, James Harden doesn't guard anybody. Kyrie doesn't guard anybody. Uh, DeAndre Jordan doesn't guard anybody. 
Joe Harris tries, but can't really guard that many people. I mean, Kevin Durant is coming off an Achilles tear, and he's their best defensive player by a significant amount. And he doesn't try all the time. I mean, I should say try all the time, but he he's an inconsistent defensive player. He will get two or three blocks in a game, but he is not a guy that's going to play, you know, he's not Kawhi Leonard on defense, right? So, yeah, I just look at their team and their defensive talent, and I don't see um, how they're going to be able to play at a high enough level to win. And the other problem is, to your point, Ethan, about not wanting the, the Heat to make that kind of a trade for James Harden, the fact that the Nets traded Jared Allen and Karis LeVert and all the picks and all the swaps means that they have two trade chips. They have Joe Harris, well, three trade chips. They have their second-round picks, which can only get you so much. They have Joe Harris, who's a very good player that would then, you know, it would hurt them to trade him. And they have Spencer Dinwiddie, who has a torn ACL. And while I think there are teams that would be interested in him, like, I don't think you're getting a dramatic haul back for him um, in a trade either. Because a lot of teams this summer are going to have cap space. They could just sign him. So, and his cap hold is, his cap hold is going to be much smaller than his contract anyway. So it's just hard to find a sweet spot where it makes sense to trade him. So that, that is my thing looking at them. They can't guard anybody and they have a very difficult time in my opinion of finding uh, ways to upgrade their roster so they can guard anybody. So I, I mean, look, they could just, they could just overwhelm everybody offensively to the point where I look dumb in the future and it just doesn't work out or it does work out and they win the title and, you know, they, they completely flip the paradigm for what you need to win in the NBA, but I'm going to go with all of recorded history and you have to have a good defensive team to win. And I'll ride that until I'm proven wrong. Yeah. This, this Nets team is really going to be like such a, a case study on that. Right. Cause I think we're all kind of expecting them to make some sort of moves to bolster the defense. And, and I'm with you that it's going to be hard to actually make those moves. You could obviously throw out names like PJ Tucker that would help them, you know, that young or adding some other perimeter talent will be nice too. I think they, they really have a hole there in the front court because when you're, re- re- yeah. uh, when you're relying on DeAndre Jordan, who's just so easily manipulated because yep. of the fact that he, he has an even worse, like deeper drop on defense than Brooke Lopez, where it's well, just in like- real, Well, and real quick, not just, just to bring up one point about that. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really instructive when they played Milwaukee a couple weeks ago. I don't know if either of you watched that game. Mm-hmm. The final five minutes of that game, Chris Middleton was walking to the elbow and getting a wide open 15 footer. It's the Spider-Man meme trip down the court. Yes. The double Spider-Man meme. <laughs> every, every trip down the court, he was getting a wide open 15 footer because Deandre was standing at the rim and not moving. Right. So he would just kind of glide around the screen. Nobody would really fight through the screen. He would glide to the elbow and he'd make a jumper. Every time. And Brooke Lopez right? is just a better version of that. So it's that's why I think it's right. interesting with both of these teams, except the Bucks obviously have way much better defense all around the rest of the team. And like you said earlier, the fact that they're kind of glued to Brooke Lopez and playing him as a closer is more their issue than, you know, just kind of Brooke being in the rotation by himself. But DeAndre is just not good. Then you have like Reggie Perry coming off the bench because Claxton is injured. And, you know, it's not like you want to be relying on pretty much rookie bigs anyways for a team that has plans on winning a title. Right. Like you said, Dinwiddie's hurt and he, he would definitely help them. They need to find, like, I wonder if you could find a way to trade Dinwiddie and a couple of other, like, contract filler type of guys to just bring in some rotation help. Because I I don't even know that they need a bunch of elite defenders, but if they could just have a little bit more balance in their lineup. Because I think, like, uh, Bruce Brown and, you know, Timothy Luau Cabarro are are pretty good defenders too, but it's just hard to play them 
enough, right? Because they don't do I don't think they do enough on the offensive end. Well, and they have well, and they have those guys now, and they're the worst defensive team in the league, right? So like that's my thing. It's like what mm-hmm. what guys are they getting that are gonna take them from the worst defensive team in the league to above average or even yeah. average, right? Like that's such a we're not talking about getting from 20th to 15th or 12th, right? We're talking about getting from 30th to 12th. Like that's, that's a huge jump. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that like just trying harder is going to fix the problem. Like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll get in the playoffs and James Harden will be locked in. Like he hasn't been since he was in Oklahoma city and Kyrie Irving will play the best defense of his life. And Deandre will, you know, go back to when doc was yelling about him being a defense player of the year, five or six years ago. Right. And like, they'll just turn back the clock and be really good. But I don't know, like there's no evidence to me that any of that is really possible. And again, I just think they're, they're really limited by the stuff that they have. And the other thing that also I think factors in for the heat too, the buyout market, I think is going to be incredibly depressed this year compared to most years. And as you guys know, the buyout market's the most overrated thing in basketball. Anyway, generally (laughs) these guys are, these guys, everybody obsesses about these buyout guys. You learn the hard way. It's good content for a week. Yeah. It's great content. We learned about Mike Bibby. There's (laughs) yes. Right. And like Joe Johnson went down, Joe Johnson went down to Joe Johnson went down to Miami and had a good playoffs the one year. Um, Marco well, Bellinelli. No, no, he didn't have a good playoffs. No, no, no. He he had a he had a good uh he had a good end to the regular season. The the playoffs okay. were well a he bit at least yeah. that's right. He at least came down there and was effective for a few weeks, though. And right. Marco Bellinelli and Ursani Lisova helped the Sixers. PJ Brown had the one brief stint with the Celtics, right? But like the vast You're majority going way of these back guys, for PJ though. Yeah, no, I right. Heard. But that but that's but these I know. you could count on one hand the guys that have done anything. Right. Like you could argue from PJ to Marco, which was like nine years, nobody did a damn thing. So like Generally, this is overrated. And this year, with um, with the emphasis this year on, or well, not the emphasis, with the introduction of the play-in games this year and the fact that you're probably going to have 12, 13 teams in each conference having mm-hmm. a puncher's chance mm-hmm. at making the playoffs, for teams like Orlando and Cleveland and Chicago and New York, and New York like, yeah. I mean, they're not good. Those teams aren't, I don't think those teams are going to willingly say, Hey, we're just going to punt on any chance of having a outside shot at the playoffs to let Alec Burks walk in free agency and go um, go sign somebody, you know, go sign somewhere else, right? Yeah. We want to try to make the playoffs because look, what's the downside for those teams? Like, okay, we finish eleventh and we just missed the play-in game. Well, we have the eighth best lottery odds, and last year the eighth and seventh teams of the lottery jumped up to third and fourth. Right. So with the new lottery odds, like there's no reason not to try for these teams. Like, hell, you might as well give it a shot and see if you can make the playoffs. And if you can't, well, all right. And we got a good lottery pick anyway. So um, so I don't think the buyout market's going to be much of an option either for them. So, yeah, I I just think their defense stinks. And I, I'm going to I'm going to ride that until I'm either proven right or wrong. And I'm not going to shift it because I just I don't see any way they can get me meaningfully better. And, you know, that's that's before that's even before you set aside, that's before you even get into any of the stuff with Kyrie or whether the pieces fit or how effective they're going to be down the stretch of games or whatever, like any of that stuff. I think the defense is enough of a, a problem that'll prevent them from getting where they want to go. 
All right. I hope that Adam Borai, uh, that's one of the guys in our network who's been on me about the Harden thing. I hope that he heard that segment. All right. When we come back, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're literally just going to talk heat. We're going to close this thing by talking heat because I want to put them into some kind of context with the four teams that we're talking about. Before we do, make sure you check out prizepicks.com. Use the code five. That's our daily fantasy game that pretty much everybody in the network is playing now. I'm on a bad run. Don't let that discourage you. You can play NBA. You can play tennis. You can play highlight. You can combine athletes from different sports just go over or under again use the code five f-i-v-e and you'll get a bonus you can do the power play you can do the flex play if you want to go all in with your money or you want to hedge a little bit there's a bunch of different options but it's a lot easier than it sounds so just sign up for prize picks throw down a 20 dollars deposit play ten dollars and give it a shot you'll have a great time with it if you want to know which states it's available in just hit me up on the five reasons sports account, but it is available in Florida and most of the other States that people listen to us. So check out prizepicks.com. again, use the code F I V E don't play Bradley Beal for the next couple of weeks. I had a bad run with him. All right. Bond temps. Let's get to the heat from an outsider's perspective here, because you know, we've talked this thing out to death and, and you know, in one hand, the heat are seven and, and five this season when Jimmy Butler plays. Okay. Um, they are two and nine when he doesn't. And, but even with that being said, it's been hard for me to be optimistic because a lot of the guys just don't look the same. The chemistry doesn't look the same. The continuity that we heard so much about was kind of ripped apart by COVID. They seem to miss Jay Crowder. I don't know if it's Crowder, but they miss a player like Crowder playing next to Bam. Mo Harkless didn't fill that role. Precious isn't. Really I would say ready. they missed. I would say they missed Jay Crowder, Ethan. <laughs> okay, they missed Jay Crowder. I'll, I'll give you that. I don't think it's as much as Heat fans think, but they miss a player like that. They've tried basically seven or eight different guys at the four spot next to Bam. They've settled on Olinick because he gives them some good games, but obviously there's not the consistency there. Myers Leonard, they resigned for nine million. He's out for the season. Avery Bradley, they signed. Uh, he really hasn't been able to contribute because of COVID and now because of an injury. Do you think with the current group without a trade? that their upside, because right now the four teams we talked about, I think most people would say are better positioned than them. Okay. But then yep. the Heat kind of come in there with Indiana, Toronto, which have also struggled a little bit. Right. Um, yep. I mean, do you think that the Heat can legitimately lock in a five seed with the group they have provided that Jimmy and Bam stay healthy? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I think that they're, in the same ballpark as Indy and Toronto. And I think they're clearly a step behind those other teams. If under the scenario you're painting, they don't make a trade. Cause I, I think like, I, I was just giving you a hard time about Jay Crowder in that, like if they could get another guy like Jay Crowder, that would solve their problem. But that was what unlocked their team last year. Right? Like when they were in the bubble, Jay Crowder playing the four, and moving Bam to the five, Jay, Jay shot like 50% from three, too, for most of the most of the time down there. He, he couldn't miss. Um, but having a, a versatile combo forward who could guard people and hit threes was really the thing to unlock their team and not replacing him, really. Like you said, the Mo Harkless experiment has not worked. They have, you know, maybe they could try to play Jimmy at four and try to play Avery with two of the other perimeter guys, but I don't really think that's going to get it done either. Um, so I, I think they need to add that kind of a piece. Now they're capable of doing that. They've got Myers under contract. They've got some pieces they can move around and I think they can find a way to get that done. Um, but if they don't, I just ultimately don't think their ceiling is high enough. And like you said, it, I know that Goran's out, but like these last couple of games are kind of illustrative of that to me in that 
they did beat the Knicks in those games, but despite the fact that Jimmy played great, it still was a real slog for them to beat the Knicks. And I just feel like they're, like you said, for whatever the overall reasons beyond the Jay Crowder stuff, I think they're just not quite on the same level as those four teams we've talked about as constituted. Um, uh, you know, Jimmy and Bam's a great place to start, but I, everybody else, like you said, has taken a bit of a step back. And I just feel like they're a little bit short um, as of now. And why, I'll, again, they're one of the teams I'm really interested to see what happens over the next six weeks, because I think they are one move away from really being an interesting team again and right back in that mix. So I think, I think a lot of what you said there is fair fair now, which might surprise you. But uh, yeah, I think like well, it'd be hard for he Twitter to be optimistic right now. I mean, they've the I mean the team is under five hundred and is struggling. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, like like Keith had said, you can explain away a lot of it by just Jimmy not being around. But even when Jimmy's played, it hasn't exactly been, uh, you know, they haven't exactly been lighting the world on fire. Yeah, and it's like last year you know, what they were really consistently good at, even during the regular season before they made those acquisitions to bolster their defense at the trade deadline was the offensive end of the floor. And they've been, uh, last time I checked, it was 26 in offense. I think it moved up to the higher 20s, which is just completely weird. Obviously, Jimmy Butler has to do with a lot of that because he does a lot for them on offense as far as being an initiator, attacking the basket, attacking mismatches, et cetera. But even outside of that, like you said, when Jimmy's playing, you know, they're on a three-game winning streak now where they're eking out wins versus you know, uh, Eastern Conference playing teams, but they they just haven't looked like themselves on offense as far they haven't had that ignitability, ignitability, Jesus, I'm having trouble with that, like Spo likes to say. <laughs> and, you know, like that's the part that's really weird to me. I think the Crowder thing is a is a good point because that that's something that's also been, you know, we've talked about it on, on Heat Twitter and so much now, just, you know, every game it's a topic because they really were, like you said, unlocked in the playoffs when they, when they were able to play two defensive forwards who you could trust. And I think Iguodala as the backup is really the, the best place for him and not as someone who you have to trust the most as your four in closing situations, which is what he kind of is right now. And you have guys who you can play as good defensive forwards while having Bam in the back line, which I think is what is big for Spo because Bam can guard a lot of these perimeter guys, but he likes having uh, Bam on the back line protecting the defense, especially because – the perimeter defense is so weak. And, you know, with Avery yes. Bradley not being able to stay consistent, Bam is always solving their problems. And he he was last season too, but they had more balance. And they are missing a four. I suspect they're going to end up making a trade for a four. It seems like that's kind of what we're headed for. I think a lot of us have been in the place where maybe they're missing more than just the four. Maybe the, now is the time to make a move for somebody who can take the pressure off Jimmy and Goron to kind of do everything for you on offense. And, you know, Bam does do a lot. But it does feel like Bam will be unlocked more and Duncan Robinson if they weren't constantly having to use that action all the time to create all of their offense. And so people are clamoring for guys like Victor Oladipo. You know, the Bradley Beal thing is obviously out of reach. But do you think this team can – let's say they just trade for a four, right? Like, uh, I don't know, a Harrison Barnes, a Thaddeus Young, a P.J. Tucker. Do you think that type of move is all they need to really be in, in contention with the rest of these teams that we talked about today? Well, it's hard to know, right? Because A, it's hard in a vacuum to say, like, they're going to go get this guy. Like, you know, like Thad is a really good player, but he also isn't much of a shooter, right? So that kind of, that leads to some other potential quirks in what you're doing, right? If you have him and Bam out there kind of shooting 15 footers, right? So like some of that stuff just kind of depends on who they get. 
Um, and some of it's that their guys have to play better. Like Tyler Hero is shooting, I think, 34% from three, right? He hasn't, he's kind of taken a step back from where he was in the bubble. Like they need him to get back to where he was before. I don't have Duncan's numbers exactly in front of me at the moment, but uh, I'm pretty sure his numbers are down. Yeah, yeah his, they were his last percentage year. went down 5% on around the same right. volume. He's still at about 40%. Right. So, and as far as yeah, zero, so like, it's he's... more to do with the playmaker role, I feel like. But his shooting is definitely down. Like I think he he really likes being a playmaker as opposed to just a shooter. I think it was a slight to him in his mind. And, and yeah, I think that's definitely a factor, though, because if Hero is more of a playmaker than a shooter, that's a different dynamic for your team, to your point. Yeah, I mean, like, Duncan Robinson shooting 39% from three this year, right? Like that's not 45%. And Tyler Hero, I think shot 38 or 39% last year, shooting 34 seven, right? Like if those guys are shooting 38 and 43% respectively, right? The offense looks a lot different. So some of it's just internally, the guys have to, that they have have to play better. But also some of that is because you have Mo Harkless out there. You have Avery Bradley out there. You have like the team has, you know, you don't have Jimmy Butler out there. So there's more of a focus on those guys. You're able to take them away more. And rather than being supporting guys who can play off the really good players, they have to kind of create more stuff and therefore they're going to not be as efficient, right? Like that, all that stuff kind of works in tandem over time. Um, so look, I think that obviously getting a, getting an upgrade on that Avery Bradley, uh, Mo Harkless spot in the rotation uh, in terms of that closing lineup, I think would good be good. I think you're right. Andre Godala has had an incredible career. I think he's kind of washed at this point. I do. I would not be wanting to rely on him in, you know, clutch moments and big games in the playoffs. I don't think he's going to be quite be good enough to get it done. Um, and again, like, would it, I mean, I'm not sure Victor Oladipo would help them. He hasn't been all that good for this year again. Um, and well, if you add, better. like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's been, been better, but been, I, I think my question okay. is, do, do they like, okay. And, and then we'll, we'll close here, but I just want like the one guy we're talking about a little bit is Kyle Lowry. Okay. And, and Toronto's in the mix with Miami. Now Kyle Lowry, unlike Oladipo is a true point. Like I, if, if you're the heat, do you trade future assets? How are you trading for Kyle Lowry? It's going to be here. Tell me the trade. It's gotta be like, like what are you, precious. What are you, well, what are you doing? What are you doing to entice Toronto to trade you Kyle Lowry? What are you giving them? Well, do you? The, the question becomes, Tim, is Masai planning on keeping I, if, Kyle whether Lowry whether he, the last whether he is or not? Okay, what the Heat mm -hmm. don't have much to trade. So, what are the Heat? Well, they the do. Heat, they, no, they Ethan, do if they want to move it. The Heat don't have much yes. to trade. They don't have a pick till twenty twenty five, right? And are you trading Tyler Hero for Kyle Lowry? Well, that's what well, I'm saying. Well, just, if you well, want to well, make a move I'm like saying, that, you are, could make are, a move. Are like you that. trading Tyler Hero for Kyle Lowry? Yes or no? I, my answer to that right okay. now. How about this, Tim? What I, if I, I give you? I think that's the right answer. I think that's the right answer. I mean, Kyle, Kyle's an expiring contract, and he's 35. He's awesome. He would make that a massive difference for the Heat. But I don't think you're trading Tyler Hero for him. I don't think you're trading. What about Duncan Robinson, Robinson Precious, and like Kendrick Dunn as far and salary filler? You think one headline by Duncan I, Robinson I mean, and Precious it, does anything uh, for you? Not, I don't know. I mean, for a guy who's Precious a free agent is, and might leave, Precious has been. Duncan Robinson is interesting. Okay, he is an interesting piece. Obviously, um, he is also about to get paid and going to be pretty expensive. Okay. Um, Precious mm -hmm. has been a a really good pick, but Precious is also like what? Uh, a good backup center probably 
right? Well, they could like, use one right now. Well, well, they have a good backup center. The problem is they don't have a starting center. Like Chris Boucher is like a good 20 minute a game center. They're playing Aaron Baines as a starter and that's a problem. Right. So like, look, I'm not saying that's right. a bad offer. Like I, and again, like Kendrick Nunn is fine. I don't think, Ken, I don't think anybody's looking at that as like Kendrick Nunn is really getting you a ton. Um, so like Duncan Robinson is really the play there. It's like, is Duncan Robinson and Precious and a, maybe even a first is that enough to get Kyle Lowry? Maybe like, you know, I could, you could see a team like Philly trying to get in the mix there and try to offer um, stuff mm-hmm. too. Also that trade is nearly enough money. So are you well, that's, trying that's to, you throw are you in sending, Iguodala, Kelly and other guys like that? Well, yeah, but, you can't, but this is the thing. Inspiring. You can't, you can't trade like seven players to the Raptors and get Kyle Lowry back. Like that, that's not how it works. So like you'd have to, it, you'd have to do Iguodala and another contract and Robinson smells and like a three team deal. Achua. Well, but yeah. that, this is what I'm saying though. Right. Like that's, that's it's very tough. hard tough. to do. That's not, that's probably not realistic to do ultimately. So, and look, if you're the heat, does it make sense to trade Tyler hero or Duncan Robinson today for a 35 year old guy? Probably not. I, I think Tim, for their from Tim from their perspective, I think it, it it only makes sense to trade Duncan if they're not planning to re-sign him. If, if this the, the question is if the price for Duncan is going to be in the eighteen to twenty million dollar range, because look at what the price for Bertans was. Okay, if that's going to be the price tag, and the Heat are not comfortable with that because they don't see Duncan as a guy who can close games for them, that that's been my question all along. Right. Then because of the defensive side. And there's no question he unlocks things for them offensively, even though they're guarding him differently this year. But the question is if he can play at the end of games. I think that's where Pat will make the decision. If he said if he thinks he's going to be a core end of game player for him, he'll pay him the 18 to 20 million, or Mickey will. Um, but they'll they'll account for that. Right. And in that case, you're not moving him. But if you're planning on moving him anyway, or you're thinking we're going to make Max Struess into Duncan Robinson or something, we'll we'll create another Duncan Robinson. Yeah. Then yes, I can see Pat at age what seven, he's going to be 77, 76 in a month. I don't want to age him more. Right. Um, and Jimmy Butler at 31. Yeah. We know how close Jimmy Butler is with Kyle Lowry. Okay. Making a, a decision here and saying, if it takes Duncan Robinson to get Kyle Lowry and give us a chance right now, we're going to do it. And the only thing I see from Masai's perspective is a, I, I don't know what to make of Lowry selling his house. People sell his sell their houses all the time, but, but yeah. they're not even playing in Toronto this year. And I have always felt that that made it easier for Masai to trade Kyle potentially, because you won't have quite the backlash that you would have. I don't, Kyle think, was I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think there'd be a backlash if they ended up trading him anyway. I mean, look, I, cause I, I mean, look, he, he's had, he's had an incredible run there. I don't think people would be that upset, right? Like nobody there. I think like people there think Toronto is a good team, but they don't think they're necessarily a championship level team. I, I think to me, it's more that the heat have limited assets, mm-hmm. right? So are you going to trade the vast would majority have to be Lowry of Lowry asking out to Miami, right? Like I think, well, no, but I'm, but, I'm not even, but that's, but that's not even that's not even it, right? Like a team that's trading for Kyle Lowry is trading for him, thinking that he could put them over the top this year, right? Mm-hmm. So like Philadelphia, like Kyle Lowry looked pretty damn good playing for his hometown team, right? Yeah. And if you if you put Danny well, the Green, Steve and Tyrese Max, well they can't do it. That's that's they don't have anything to move. Of, I know, I know, but that well, would be the well, other one. It's a comp. It's a combination of that and just the money. Like they're right. hard cap. They can't they can't they trade can't enough money right. to get Kyle. But like Philly, 
could trade picks. They have Tyrese Maxey. They have Matisse Thibel. They could trade Danny Green's expiring. Like they could very easily put together a coherent trade that makes a lot of sense that would make their team way better and would give them, you know, exactly the kind of guy that we were talking about them not have. Right. So, and he's a Villanova heat, product, as you said. And right. he's a Villanova guy. He's a North Philly guy. Like all, like it would, again, would make a ton of sense. Right. right. So if you're the heat, my thing is like, yeah, obviously Pat's an older guy and like they're close and he's close with Jimmy. He'd be a great fit for their culture, great fit for their team. But are you, are you going all in with basically all your assets other than Tyler hero for a 35 year old Kyle Lowry with the team that the heat have? Like maybe, but that's a, that's, I think a tough. Well, the other question, the other question, and we, we, we've done some of this, so I, I don't want to rehash all of it, but the one other question we had that we kind of came across when we did a Lowry pod is if you still got Dragic, I mean, we've seen Dragic and Lowry try to play together years ago. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know that that's workable at the end of the game. So it, it might be a question of if you bring in Kyle, you're taking Goran off the floor, which even at Goran's advanced age, I'm not sure is something that they want to do. So it, for a lot of reasons, uh, it's problematic. I think those two would play together. I think those two would play together just fine. All right. Well, I know that. I know that. Look, I know whatever. At some point, I'd heard they had issues with the relationship, but clearly that was patched over the years. But like, I just, from a playing standpoint, I don't know. I, I, I mean, Kyle would take Kyle Lowry's way better. Kyle Kyle Lowry's way better than Tyler Hero. So if you went, if you if you if you got a four who can play, mm-hmm. and you you then had Kyle Lowry closing games and that's not a knock on Tyler hero. I think he's going to be a really good player, but if you, if you go from, if you have Kyle Lowry in your closing lineup and you can find some kind of four to give you some kind of combo four to give you some kind of minutes there, like your team is a lot better um, for sure. And you got a shot, but uh, again, like it, the, the question for me is less, does Kyle Lowry make sense and more, is there a trade that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, because of the complications that come with the amount of money they would have to put in the deal, unless they're trading Goron for Kyle, which to your point, I don't think really makes a ton of sense either. No. So you have to add a lot of pieces to make that trade. And then you're basically putting all your chips in the Kyle Lowry basket and you can't make any trades for the next four or five years then. So like, that's, that's the part of it where it gets tough. And you know, that's, that's why Pat and Andy get paid the big bucks and we'll see what they end up deciding to do. All right, follow him at Tim Bontemps, ESPN.com and on ESPN as well. Also check out our sponsors, bestever.com. Again, that's B-S-T-E-V-R.com, prizepicks.com. Use the code five and manscaped.com. Use the code five R-S-N. Thanks, Tim. Anytime, man. Happy to do it. Thanks, Tim. Thank you for listening to the five on the floor on the five regional sports network.